0: We believe that basically the next century of multi-channel commerce starts with Amazon. What's interesting is that if you read the letter to shareholders from Jeff Bezos in 2018, he said, and I'm quoting, third-party setters are kicking our first-party butt badly. What that means for us is that Amazon's biggest source of profits after AWS comes from their marketplace economy, these third-party sellers.
1: Hello, and welcome back to day two, a new podcast from GeekWire, where we explore everything Amazon. I'm GeekWire co-founder, John Cook. In today's episode, we're venturing into a fascinating new corner of the Amazon universe. Over the past two years, a new group of heavily funded investment firms have formed with a singular purpose, buying small companies that sell through Amazon. In many ways, these so-called aggregators operate as mini private equity firms, they quickly buy out popular mom and pop Amazon sellers and then use their e-commerce expertise in marketing and logistics to hopefully drive additional revenue and profits across a wide range of brands. There are now about 40 of these aggregators with names like Perch, Thrasio, and Cap Hill brands operating across the e-commerce landscape. And in some cases, these buyers of Amazon sellers have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. But is this really a good business? We'll explore that question and more today on Day 2. I'm joined by our partner on the Day 2 podcast and regular contributor, Jason Boyce, the founder of Avenue7 Media, author of The Amazon Jungle, and a former third-party seller on Amazon. Welcome back, Jason.
2: Glad to be here, John. Thanks. And I'm really excited about today's discussion. This is a very hot topic in the Amazon seller world.
1: Yes. And to talk about this, our guest today is Ruben Amar, a former private equity investor at TA Associates, who now leads Forum Brands, a six-month-old aggregator of Amazon sellers that's already acquired a handful of businesses. Ruben, thanks for joining us on the Day 2 Podcast.
0: Hi, John. Hi, Jason. Thank you for inviting me. Very excited to be here and share the story and talk about the market.
1: Absolutely. Well, as we alluded to in those opening remarks, this is a hot, hot area and really only came onto my radar a few months ago. And I was really intrigued because of my background in covering startups and venture capital. And I saw real interesting parallels that almost a new venture capital ecosystem is arising as it relates to these Amazon sellers. And so my question to you as a former private equity guy and investor is, why are we seeing so many companies formed to buy Amazon sellers right now. What What is the opportunity that's driving this race right now?
0: I think something that is important to mention is that we are in an ecosystem that is really, really the day zero for e-commerce consolidations. There are 99% of the roughly 50,000 sellers within the Amazon FBA ecosystem that meet acquisition criteria for many of these buyers, and that are, frankly speaking, all independently owned and operated. And if you think about the size of the market, of the e ecosystem, just in 2020, there were 1 million new FBA sellers that have joined Amazon 19 global marketplaces. This is already adding to the 6.1 million third-party sellers that already existed before 2020. So the space is just massive. And every player, if you think about the different 40 players that you mentioned that came in into the space, will have a specific approach, a different strategy, and everyone will have to position themselves as a buyer of these businesses. But the reason why this market has attracted so much attention is that the market of Amazon in 2020 generated $475 billion of GMV. 63% of that came from third-party sellers. Millions and millions of small entrepreneurs around the world selling products that Billions of people around the world are buying online, all of them operating thanks to this FBA system and platform that Amazon has built for them through businesses that are generating millions of dollars of top line and cash flow generative. So from a financial perspective and market depth perspective, these new buyers have seen the potential of building a valuable business, of consolidating a group of these brands and getting all the untapped value that these sellers have left on the table in order to grow a very, very valuable, consolidated group of consumer brands.
1: Yeah, it's super interesting. And you're right, this is a massive, massive market that's just built on the back of Amazon. And we should, for the layperson out there, we should describe what FBA is, that's Fulfillment by Amazon. These are companies that are using essentially the logistical backbone of Amazon to deliver their products and goods to the end consumer. Jason, I want you to jump in here. You're a former seller on Amazon. If you had your company from back in the day, would you consider selling to one of these aggregators today? Do you think they're providing value into the equation or not?
2: You know, I'm sitting here thinking and listening to Ruben and thinking, God, I wish I would have waited a couple more years before I had my last exit with that seller business. Timing is everything, John. It's so striking to me, has there been $3 billion raised, I think, at last count? Ruben, does that sound right? $3 billion in a year raised to go up and buy micro-brands that are these third-party sellers?
0: That's exactly correct, Jason. Half of it is, is from Thrasio, though. But yes, it is $3 billion raised across the 40 buyers that John has mentioned. I think some of these numbers are not even public, so I would consider this number even actually much higher. I
2: mean, that that's some real cheddar. I remember the days, Ruben back in the early 2000s where I would go to a trade show and beg brands to let me sell their product. And then they would say yes. And then I'd say, oh, by the way, I'm selling on Amazon. And they'd say, no, 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 we're not selling to you. We don't want any part of this Amazon game. So that is a complete 180, John, from when I started in this game. Like I said, I wish I would have hung in there a couple more years. There's so much money. And my question, Ruben, is have you seen valuations of companies since all of this money that's been raised has become public go up? And I hope I'm not gonna put your amazing Jen Crook throw under the bus, she shared a a story with me. I'm gonna bring that up after you answer the question, but have you seen the valuations go up as a result of this flood of money into the market? Yes,
0: like every market that has inflow of capital, it is normal to expect that valuations would increase and they have increased, frankly speaking. What is interesting is that if you think about the different channels in which Forum and and many other buyers of these brands are buying these brands, you have the broker network. Think about these many, many, many online brokers that have been here before the inflow of capital. Without naming all of them, the biggest one and the most active one is Empire Flippers. These brokers have done an amazing job helping sellers that did not even know that they had the option of selling their Amazon business find a right buyer. What has happened is that when this capital has been included in the market, the multiples in these what I call very competitive auctions have increased quite significantly, call it in the last six to 12 months. However, as this is true for the auction and the broker network, a big portion of what we do is also getting in touch directly with some of the millions of sellers around the world. And when you think about the multiples in this avenue, in this sector, the multiples have increased, but not as much as the auctions. And the reason for that, Jason, is pretty simple, is that you have between 50 and 60,000 sellers that have brands that generate more than $1 million. All of these 60,000 brands, 99% of them are still independent, which means that there's still room of you know getting multiples that are close to the ones before all this capital got in however the multiples have still increased even on that avenue but not as much as the heavily competitive auctions as you and everyone can see through brokers
1: are we getting to the point where you're bumping into other aggregators and there are bidding wars going on
0: definitely in the broker's auction. Some of the deals we've done, I'm gonna be super transparent, some of the deals we've done with brokers, we were facing competition from 15 to 20 buyers, which coming from the investment world, and John, you would know that, it's pretty, pretty, pretty uh, brutal and aggressive. But what's interesting in this situation is that the highest bid was not the winning bid. And I'm telling you from a personal and and edit forum, We have won some of these auctions without being the highest bid. The reason for that is that what people tend to forget, and I think, Jensen, you would understand more than anyone else as an ex-FBA seller, is that the brand that these sellers have built is like their baby. Of course, the majority of them are not operating these brands 100% of their time. They do it as an extra income for the day-to-day and to pay down, you know, the student loan, to pay down mortgage, to build a new project, a new house, and whatever you can think about. So what's interesting is that the value of the brand for this seller is almost, if not more important to them as the exit multiple or the exit dollars value that they will get into their account. So the way we want some of these very competitive deals is by showing the sellers that when they sell their brand to forum, we have the team in-house and the technology in-house that would really, really take the brand from level one to level five. So that one day, three to five years down the road, when they will walk around with their you know, grandchildren, they will be able to find the brand that they've built six, seven years ago, and they could tell to their family, hey, I built this brand.
2: So Ruben, I hope I, I, don't want to get Jen in trouble here, but uh, you know, she didn't give me any specific information, but it was more of a general comment you mentioned that 15 to 20 buyers looking at each acquisition. And she shared with me that there was a call where they're talking due diligence and they're talking asking questions. And one of those 15 folks just jumped in and said, I'll give you an outrageous amount of money without due diligence. Are you seeing that happen again and again with just crazy money making decisions without even doing their homework? And how do you compete with that?
0: I've seen that happen not often, because if you look at the quality of buyers in the space, it's pretty impressive. They all come from very impressive backgrounds, very knowledgeable investors, very knowledgeable operators. So you will always have these situations when there is like what I call a very aggressive cowboy that come in and just say, hey, I'm going to get everything and, and I don't even need to look at it. That could happen. It hasn't happened too much to us. And frankly speaking, if this really happened, it's going to be very difficult to, I would say, compete if the price is, call it two, three, four times, you know, net LTM, net income higher than us. But frankly speaking, Jason, it hasn't happened too much. It really happened maybe once or twice since we started Forum. Um, and I think that people will realize more and more as they buy these businesses, how difficult it is to actually operate these businesses. So they will be much more vigilant as they do the diligence work before acquiring any brand out there
2: in your private equity world. Did you ever run into that situation where someone jumps in there with an outrageous offer without due diligence?
0: Never on the companies I've looked at, to be honest, never, but I've looked at businesses that were much larger, much more complex with human capital involved. So it was technically impossible to do that. I've seen situations where I was competing with two or three or four buyers. And then, you know, suddenly they've increased the price by 50% without any expectation. That happened in my life. But yeah, a situation where there's a buyer without even looking at the business, just buying the business at 30, 40% above asking price. That's something that I haven't seen in my private equity world. I haven't seen too much as well in this ecosystem.
1: So Ruben, you're painting kind of a picture of almost like a gold rush mentality here. There are these sellers out there that they're the gold and you and these other aggregators are the miners going out trying to find them. That's a hard prospecting tool. And if you go back to the gold rush days, the ones that have the best prospecting tools were able to find the best uh, mines to go after. So I am super curious what type of software or AI systems you're using to dive into this to really discover those golden nuggets.
0: Technology is dictating almost everything that we do at Form, from sourcing and looking for this gold, using your words, to integrating and doing diligence on these gold companies, and then growing these companies. If we could focus right now on the sourcing and finding these investment opportunities, which is probably where I spend most of my time and, and where Jen, that Jason met, spending all of our time and where I, I brought a lot of knowledge from my days at TA Associates is that we are using a lot of data science to basically scan the Amazon FBA ecosystem and look for, I would say, most attractive Amazon FBA brands that are in line with our investment criteria and reach out to them.
2: Ruben, just to follow John's analogy here of the gold rush, I've been in the seller game for almost 20 years. There are white hat tactics and there are not so white hat tactics. How do you at foreign brands make sure that what you're buying isn't fool's gold? How do you know that there hasn't been reviews that have been purchased that put your purchase at risk? How do you know there weren't you know, illegal rebates used to spike your ranking on Amazon. All of those things that happen under the hood that look great from the creek bed, that shiny gold, but when you grab it, it's just a rock.
0: I will have two components to my answer. One, the co-founder, Alex, has seven years of experience in Amazon. He has built, frankly speaking, some of the tools that the millions of FBA sellers are using today to manage their brands on the Amazon Seller Central. All the operating team is uh, composed of ex-Amazonians, whether it is FBA sellers or people that work at Amazon. It has allowed us to build tools that we are using during our diligence, whether it is tools that scan the reviews, whether it is tools that go through every single number of the P&Ls of these brands, whether it is tools that allow us to go through the trademark registries, whether it is tool that look at, at any Amazon Amazon violation that happened in the past couple of years for the brand. We have a lot of tools that we have built between our technology team and our operating Amazonians team that we use in the investment team to do every single one of our diligence process. So think about it as the combination of our background as investors doing diligence, plus the Amazon team, plus the technology team, all together, we have a very, very detailed process for the diligence work that we do in 30 days approximately between the day that we sign LOI and the day that we wire the money that allows us to scan everything about the brand and protect ourselves from the things that you've mentioned, like, like black hat tactics and, and many others. Because we know, because of our DNA at Forum, how challenging and important it is for Amazon to have a very clean and safe and robust brand that operates on Amazon.
1: That's super interesting. And I want to dive into this some more. We're speaking to Ruben Amar. He's the co-founder of Forum Brands, one of the many new aggregators that are emerging on the scene. And I know, Ruben, you don't necessarily like the term aggregator. So maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back from a break. And I also want to ask you how you feel Amazon will respond to all these new entrants into the marketplace. That's going to come up right after the break. Thanks for joining us on day two, GeekWire's new podcast about Amazon. We're joined by Ruben Amar. He's a co-founder of Forum Brands. Ruben, Amazon has built this universe, and I'm just super interested on how they could potentially manipulate this to their advantage or perhaps make sure that some of these new aggregators that are coming on the scene don't become gigantic billion-dollar powerhouses because they probably want a piece of that. How does Amazon fit into the equation in here as the platform of platforms? And how do you think about them in this equation?
0: So maybe taking a little bit of a step back here, because this is important to answer this question. Amazon has really positioned itself as what we call it for the creator economy through its third-party sellers ecosystem. 2020 Amazon generated $475 billion of GMV. 63% came from these third-party sellers and this number has grown 48% in 2020 through their 185 global fulfillment centers. We believe that basically the next century of multi-channel commerce starts with Amazon. What's interesting is that if you read the letter to shareholders from Jeff Bezos in 2018, he said, and I'm quoting, third-party setters are kicking our first-party butt badly. That was very interesting when we read that, is that Amazon private-level product sales represented less than 1% of Amazon Marketplace GMV in 2020. What does it mean? If you look at all the investment that Amazon has done in the last couple of years, they've invested billions of dollars to help improve the seller's experience with new technology and tools. What that means for us is that Amazon's biggest source of profits after AWS comes from their marketplace economy. That's something if you look at like a value evaluation, SOTP for Amazon uh, on the public market, the second most profitable business from Amazon is these third party sellers.
2: Actually Ruben, I think it's the first. I think it's the first. I think it makes more money than AWS. You think so? Absolutely.
0: Point being is that it's such a profitable source of business for Amazon. It's such an important flow of growth for Amazon. At the same time, they've invested so much money to help sellers. That we don't see any point where Amazon third-party market will go away. We really think it will stay and will keep growing and there will be more and more sellers that will get there because Amazon still think as a startup, even though it's one of the largest companies today, they operate this company as if it was still a startup. What it means is that they are innovators and what it means is that when they know that they are now positioning themselves as the next century creator economy for millions and millions of entrepreneurs and buyers in front of them, they create a new economy. It's not even a marketplace anymore. It is a new economy. We are very very confident about Amazon going forward. There are some risks. Amazon, of course, might want someday to take a little bit more of the margins on, for example, the FBA fees. Maybe they will increase one day their platform fees. That could happen but the growth engine will still remain there and the ecosystem that is this new economy will remain there.
1: Jason, a lot to dive into there on what Ruben said. I'm curious what you think about the risks here for both the aggregators and the sellers to the aggregators. Because when I think about it from a technology landscape, I'm trying to think of other examples in the past where you had a giant platform and then you tried to create another platform on that platform. And it seems like if you're in the middle there, you know, Every VC or investor will tell you, you don't want to be in the middle, you're gonna get crushed. And so I'm curious what you think about that, Jason. And then maybe Ruben, you can follow up on that.
2: I speak out a lot about treatment of third-party sellers by Amazon as often as possible. Amazon is in this middle place to be the judge, juror, and executioner for your listing and for your seller account. And so I'd love to hear, you know, how Ruben plans to manage the seller accounts because there's some other seller policy TOS issues to be wary of. But it is a very unique situation where Amazon is not the internet, but it certainly feels like the internet of products, and they hold the rules, right? And I, I'm remembering back years ago having conversations with folks at Amazon, and I remember having some conversations where they're like, look, they were talking about Anchor, A-N-K-E-R, billion-dollar brand, Amazon native, public company, and I think it's the Shenzhen Stock Exchange or Hong Kong. and." Amazon being very uncomfortable with the size that Anchor had gotten to for for a lot of reasons. Obviously, they're spreading out their risk if, the, if they have millions or hundreds of thousands of sellers versus one seller doing close to a billion dollars um, in a category that can be incredibly risky to their revenue stream. And so that's the question I ask Ruben all the time. Like, And I, I know you get it, and I think you answered it really well. It's not so much about what Amazon thinks How do your investors feel about the fact that Amazon could come in, take a big swipe and knock off your sales for a good month or six months or 90 days until they decide you're able to sell again? Do they know that that's a risk and how do you address that with your investors?
0: It's a good question. It's also a question of like, how do I address that in terms of like risk management for my own company, right? We want to make sure that we are in business as well. I think there are two components first of all the probability that amazon will do that for all the products across all the brands is very low right they could do that for maybe a sub 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 category in which one big player that owns 95 percent of the sub 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 category that could happen the approach that we have is that we really think about portfolio diversity this is very important for us so the way we do our deals first of all we will not do all of our deals on a $100 million Amazon only business. We will look at businesses that have been able to build leadership within a sub, sub, or a niche category in which they build a nice you know, business that is generating between $1 million and $5 million of sales. And the idea for us is really take this business from this niche only on Amazon and get it into other niches on Amazon, but more importantly, take them very quickly into other channels. And we have a team in-house that is doing only and spending all of their time on the multi-channel of Amazon business. The reason for that is that, as I said at some point in the previous question, Amazon is the starting point for next generation commerce because of the ecosystem and the access to customers. But from there, there's such an limited opportunities from a multi-channel expansion perspective. And when you think about your point about how do I explain it to my investors, how do I explain to my financial backers, is that from an Amazon perspective, we are diversifying our our portfolio in terms of products, in terms of categories we're going after, in terms of seasonality. You know, some products will be much more seasonal around Christmas. We get also some products that are much more seasonal around around New Year or around, around January some products that are much more seasonal in the summer. All of that with a perspective of building valuable businesses that are, in terms of risk perspective, very well managed and diverse. But on top of that, my investors feel very comfortable because we have built in-house capabilities to take these brands from Amazon only to Amazon majority to maybe one day Amazon 30, 40% of the business. And that's what we do. We are brand builder. We are here to buy very high quality businesses on Amazon and really grow them into very valuable D2C brands going, you know, for the next five to 10 years, where if you look at the business five to 10 years from now, Amazon would still be a big part of the business, but definitely not the only one.
2: That's interesting. I think that's a really smart strategy, especially on the European side, because the Amazon marketplace isn't as big in Europe as it is here in the United States. But Ruben, I'll tell you, at our peak business, in my eight-figure top 200 seller business, we had the same product, the same price, the same listings, the same images, the same assets for the brand listed on our own website, on amazon.com, Walmart, Sears, Jet, Newegg, all the other marketplaces. And we did about maybe 10% on our own website we did, if you combined all of the other marketplaces, it was collectively about 10%. And on Amazon, it was 80. I also think you're spot on. You know This whole concept of challenger brands or brands that are upending the rule. I I think that's what I really love when I'm hearing from you, Ruben, is you guys are looking at a core brand and you're going to build that brand and make it the next sort of Procter & Gamble brand, if you will. And I think it's really interesting. I believe, and I agree with you 100%, the next billion dollar brands and maybe some in your in your portfolio are going to have started as an amazon seller or an instagram seller because they have this unique relationship directly with the consumer who has put their credit card in the cart and have been honest and told that brand what their experience with the product was and the folks that iterate on those brands over and over are going to be the winners you know the days of Procter and Gamble coming in and dropping a 50 million dollar TV ad campaign on a mediocre product are over. So I feel like what I'm hearing you say is that's the kind of brands that you're looking for and looking to provide some fuel to grow
0: to sort of own the future. Is that right? Jason, this is exactly spot on. We are driven by one mission. Whatever P&G and unit Ever has done in the offline world 50 years ago. they built the most valuable consumer brands, CPG brands around the world today through acquisitions. What we are trying to do is to do a similar approach, building this digital tech-oriented platform of the next generation consumer brands that we can sell to everyone on the planet through any marketplace. Now, I just want to build up on what you said that is very important. It is very easy to say, Jason, hey, you know, I want to buy a business on Amazon, and grow it to many other marketplaces. You mentioned something very interesting. You said that like you, even though you were selling on your Shopify on your own website, still 90% of the business was on Amazon. Now, the reason for that is that for many years, technology was not really available. To be honest, still is not available to be able to really manage at scale a brand that is very active, not only on Amazon, but on many different marketplaces. Imagine how much struggle you had to go through, Jason, when you were managing your very large business only with 80% of Amazon in terms of inventory management system, in terms of marketing, in terms of expansion, in terms of keyword search, in terms of competition. All of that was done only on Amazon. So imagine when you reach the scale that your business was, but you have five to 10 different marketplaces in different languages, different legal requirements different types of customer. A customer in Europe will not think in the same way as a customer in Asia or a customer in the United States. The only way, and I I will really insist on that, the only way to manage a very large consumer, online consumer business, multi-channel at scale is if you have a stellar, very solid technology platform that fuels everything that you do from the moment that you acquire this Amazon-only brand to the moment where you sell through all the channels that are available around the world. It cannot work if you don't have a technology that allows you to do that.
1: So we're speaking to Ruben Amari. He's the co-founder of Forum Brands. Ruben, just kind of building on that thought, because hearing you talk about the concept behind it, do you view yourself as a technology company or an investment company? Or getting back to my original comment before we went to break, you don't like this term aggregator. So I guess, first off, why don't you like that term? And How do you differentiate between the investment component of what you do and this technology component of what you do that you just described?
0: Aggregator is, for me, the wrong word to describe business. So, yes, I agree with you. We're building a portfolio through acquisition. But we view our business and have structured it as a CPG operating company. Because when you think about aggregator, it implies that the main driver of value, and if you think about its success for us, these driver will come through our acquisitions. The reality is that the acquisition is basically the starting point, the go to market strategy we've selected to do. Instead of building a brand from scratch, we decide to go to market and acquire the business. But all the value, everything, the, the, the only reason foreign brands will be successful is through brand building and not aggregating. And that's why we call ourselves, every, everywhere we talk with with sellers is you know, through a brand-building strategy. So to answer your question about how do we see forum, is it a technology company? Is it an investment company? It is a technology-driven consumer company. And our go-to-market strategy of this consumer tech company is acquisition.
1: It's interesting, given your private equity background, because the idea in private equity is you buy these companies and then two, three, four years down the road, you're getting a bigger M&A activity out or an IPO. So do you see IPOs or a a secondary M&A event of these companies that you create as being a larger payoff for you at Forum?
0: It's a great question. So going back to the analogy of private equity, what we do in private equity, and of course, it depends on at what stage you invest and how much, you know, activism approach you take to investment in private equity. But the majority of the time, you, as a private equity, you will invest in a business, whether it is a minority or majority, and you will have other people that are not employed or in control of your private equity firm basically grow the business. You will help them from there and there, depending on your degree of involvement. But at the end of the day, private equity firms do not operate the business that they acquire. We operate this business at the we acquire. So this is very different from a private equity model. Number two is that what is the angle? For us at Forum, we have a very long term approach. The reality is that we want to build a holding company of very, very large brands that have their place and they can sell 10 to 15 years from now. Of course, there might be some situation in which we will have opportunistic approach by strategic players, or maybe one day there will be an opportunity for the whole holding company to go and do an IPO, or you never know. But if we think about this strategy for the brands themselves, is to take them from point number zero, which is day zero for us when we acquire them, and keep growing them, growing them, growing them, growing them for many, many more years. Because that's where the real value is all about, John. The value is through building long-term sustainable brands that everyone in the world wants to acquire.
1: You know, I just wanted to follow up with that because it seems like as you do that, there's a lot of challenges here in front of you. You've got the technology stack problem that you're building out your own tech stack. You've got Amazon that could or could not turn the dial up or down on these. You've got big competitors, too. I mean, they're heavily funded companies coming into the market. And then as we talked about, finding those gold nuggets is a challenge, too. I mean, that's not the easiest thing to do. When you look across the landscape of your challenges as you're starting this new business up, what stands out to you as like the thing that keeps you up at night?
0: It is an interesting question, John. I'll tell you why. Because you've basically highlighted right now all the challenges that we are going to face and that we're facing every day. And Jason would know what I'm talking about. The only reason I think that Forum will be able to be successful in our strategy Just to be clear, I think there will be many winners in the space. The space is big enough for them to have 10, 15, 20 winners. Everyone will have eventually their own strategy. Right now, it's day zero of the consolidation market I told you about. It seems like everyone is doing the same thing, but eventually and very quickly, people will have to identify with their own strategy. Now, what keeps me up every single day and that's the solution for a forum to be successful is to have the best people in every single step of the value chain and what we are trying to achieve at Forum. Success comes only when you have people that are excellent and that are in a team where they feel they are part of a dream and a big mission. And it's not easy to do. You know, when you recruit five, five 10 new people every month, it's not easy to do, especially on Zoom. But we spend so much time and effort every day to be able to build this environment where we can attract the best talent. And I believe that that's the only way we will be able to win and be one of these winners in this ecosystem.
2: I love that, Ruben. And John, I'm going to add two more threats. And I think the antidote that Ruben has been describing, branding, 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 is is going to serve them well. (laughs) What are the other two threats? China factories coming in and dropping products onto the Amazon platform at prices that most brands in the United States can't even pay for uh, in the first place. And then additionally, you know, we had this great guest, Peter Daring, who also, John, in our first episode of, of uh, the Day 2 podcast, Peter Daring, who really understands the importance of brand. That's what I tell clients and prospective clients every day. You can't compete with Amazon Basics. You cannot compete with the China factories that are dumping goods in many cases onto Amazon.com, but what you can do is you can sprinkle the pixie dust, and you can build a brand, and you can create this moat. And I love your strategy, Ruben, of holding on to these brands because every day, every month, every year that that brand is out there, wowing customers, and then you're iterating on these as you get that real-world customer data from from real shoppers on Amazon or, or your own site, et cetera and you're iterating on that when you go from you know year 1 or 2 to year 10 that brand will continue to build that brand equity you'll be able to sell your product at a higher price than the basics and the china factories because it will be better it will be more beautiful right it will be more um, there'll be more equity built into it and so i just wanted to say that Ruben i love that about what you guys are building over there but john there's a lot of risk there's a lot of risk in this game so it's another reason why i'm amazed 3 billion raised it's insane
1: Well, this is fascinating stuff. Ruben, I know Jason and I could probably talk to you for hours because we're both just really deeply interested in how this market is going to evolve. So thank you for spending so much time with us today. Ruben Amar is the co-founder of Forum Brands, a relatively new aggregator, we will call them for now, of Amazon sellers, but also known as a brand builder. We'll keep that firm for us here today. Ruben, thank you so much for joining us on the Day 2 Podcast. Thank you for having me, John and Jason. It was
0: great talking to you today.
1: Thanks for listening to the Day 2 Podcast from GeekWire. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app and be sure to leave us a rating and review. Find more episodes and content at geekwire.com day two. I'm GeekWire co-founder, John Cook. We'll be back soon with a new episode of day two.